All right, well, I'm going to be up the top today because I'm going to do a little bit of writing on this board, so hopefully you can see it wherever you're seated. Um, And this is probably going to be a little bit more teaching than it is sort of preaching um, because what I want to unpack is, like everything and like Sam always says, absolutely huge and massive and critical. Um, And last week we looked at the back of the book and we started and I asked the question, if you wanted to know how the story of any book or any movie finished, where would you go? Where would you look? And we said we would go to the back of the book. And it's no different with God. God has spoken and he has written his eternal purpose down for us. Greg, why would he do that? So it's no longer a mystery. So we wouldn't be asking what it is, we would know. That's how good he is. Here is my heart, Lord, speak what is true. So God says, cool, I will. And God has been speaking since he created us, has he not? Not really, you don't know? It's always good when you get participation and engagement. It actually encourages me, believe it or not. So encourage me by saying, yes, Greg, that's right, Greg, rather than munching on something that's sweet and... (laughs) always good. It can be a bit lonely up here at times, and I'm a little bit high today. But So the creator speaks to the creation. And he says, I wonder in my creation, how many of my creation want to know my heart? They want to know my plans. They want to know my purposes for my creation. And so he spoke it into the earth. And the Bible says, men who were of the Holy Spirit heard it and then wrote it down. And it has been preserved through the years and the centuries for us to be able to partake of God and His eternal purpose, which influences our lives here on earth dramatically. And so the lives we live on earth are to be defined by God's eternal purpose. You'll not find this purpose that we're looking for on earth because it's not anchored in earth, it's anchored in the eternal. So God, because he loves us and he loves his creation, wrote down for you and I his purpose, his plan, so we can know it, so we can live it, so we can enter into the fullness of it and become the people that he says we're called, called the church, who the Bible says is to be the pillar that supports truth. So our lives are to be pillars that support what God is doing on the earth. I asked this question of my discipleship module group on Thursday. I said, what really is the number one purpose of God for your life? And there was a whole lot of answers, which were all right, but it really wasn't the number one purpose. And I said, the number one purpose of our lives is to glorify God. So God creates us to bring glory to himself. And he does that through us being the divine demonstration of God on this earth. So through becoming and coming into Christ-likeness, Romans 8, because the Bible says all that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of His son. So as we become conformed into the image of his son, because we're always on a process of maturity and transformation, we are able to divinely demonstrate heaven on earth. 
as an individual and as a people group. That is the purpose of glorifying God. Because when everyone on earth and the church look at us, who do they see? God, Christ. So what comes out of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The way God is going to get his glory on the earth is through the vehicle called you and I. Which means you need to know him. Which means you must be surrendered to him. Which means you must have laid your life down, lost your old life you were born with, and laid hold of the new life because we are to bring glory to God through the divine demonstration of God in you. So when people look at you, they don't see you, they see Christ. When you're in a high pressure situation, being pressured on every side, being crushed, the old nature doesn't come out and manifest over everybody. The nature of Christ comes out of you. I could probably just sit right there and go to questions straight away. Everyone's going, yes, please. <laughs> but that is not an old message. I've just reworded that a different way than maybe normal. But that's our role, to bring glory to the Father. Like that is eternal, isn't it? That you and I have been hand-selected, chosen for an eternal calling to live a life worthy of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that when we stand before our Heavenly Father at the judgment seat for the church, He's going to reward you with an abundance of blessing because he looks at your life and say, Greg, you glorified my name. You didn't get it perfect, son, but over the life I gave you, you discovered who I was, you discovered my purpose and plan, and you played your role in the body and you played your role in this individual aspect of what I had predestined you to do before the foundations of the earth. We are all going to stand before God and have to give a judgment for the words that we've spoken and the lives that we've lived. Not for punishment, for reward. Because he's taken away the sin and iniquity of those in Christ. But he looks and goes, what did you do with the gift I gave you? Did you serve you or me? That's a question God would ask you today. Are you serving you or him? Have you lost you and found him? And in finding him, you have found you. Big questions. A lot of humanity doesn't want to go anywhere near those questions. La, 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 la. Did someone say something? Be quiet. Shut this guy up, will you? <laughs> so this is exciting, man. I, I'm more and more getting aware of just what we are called for. And so if you have this booklet, can you come with me to page 9? If you don't have the booklet and you have a phone or you have this book, do you want to come with me to Revelation 19, 7 to 9? We're going to unpack this and bit by bit I'm going to show you some things and I pray that you'll hear and through hearing you'll see the eternal calling of God for us. 
Every single one of us. Are we there? Revelation 19, 7 and 9. The bride and attendees of the marriage supper. Revelation 19, 7 to 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. Stop there, Greg. Let us rejoice. Day in the morning. What do your mornings look like? How do they start? Oh, I need a coffee. <laughs> oh, I have a coffee. I've got angry. <laughs> oh, Liverpool lost this morning. Oh, oh it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> well, <laughs> that doesn't happen these days. It's awesome. It used to. It used to how we'd start Sundays. Oh, we got beat again. <laughs> like, does it start from love? Like, does it start from having love in you? So your joy starts with an expression of praise and thankfulness. I really hope it does. You know, this is what happened on Thursday, and it was amazing. Like, we were talking to our group, and it was, I don't know what time it was, it was probably about 9 o'clock at night. It was a warm night, Thursday night. And so we had the windows open and the sliding doors open and our place was trees and the twoies just come and during the day they sing. In fact, one of them popped into our house and pooped on our carpet this morning. <laughs> I was having some quiet time and this, I'm looking, I open my eyes and there's a twoie looking at me. <laughs> and, and then the side of the door a runner. Oh, you little punk, come here. <laughs> Amazing, they knew where the door, you know, sometimes they fly into the, into the windows. This guy knew how he came in, he just went pop, 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 out the window, side door. So Thursday night, and we were talking, and I was talking, and um, we got to Isaiah, don't laugh too hard, and we got to Isaiah, and we were talking about those that wait on the law renew their strength. And I was just taking the guys through the different verses and unpacking that, and I don't know, the twoies, just started kicking off. Like, talk, 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 talk. We're talking nine o'clock at night. And I'm preaching and they're singing. And as soon as I stopped, they stopped. And me and Andrea looked at each other and went, Do you hear that? Do you hear that? They've stopped. And it's this whole thing. Why? Because the word of the Lord was being spoken. And his creation hear his word when it's spoken, and his creation responds with rejoice and praise. It's like, my goodness, this is amazing. So I want you to think about what your beginning, middle, and end of your day looks like. Because all of it is to be defined from rejoicing. Because of what you know. And it's so interesting, really, isn't it? Because our rejoicing is defined through what we know. The Bible says you perish because you lack knowledge. So if we don't have an ongoing, living, revealed knowledge, it's going to limit our rejoicing because we're going to rejoice from the knowledge we actually have of the Father and his big picture plan. 
And that's what frees us from us. Jesus was able to go to the cross because he had a joy that was set before him because he could see why he was going the cross. When you can see the why, you rejoice. But the why is actually eternal, not temporal. So we need to know the eternal macro plan of God so we can rejoice while we're on earth. Because I don't know about you, but there's enough things going on earth to be bummed out. If you're looking in the natural, if you're taking your P's and Q's from the natural, if your foundation is in the natural and God says, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken, that's not a good place to be looking. It's in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Ten years ago, I had zero revelation of what I just read. Do you know you can be on fire and asleep all at the same time? I was on fire and awake to what I knew in God, and I was asleep to what I didn't know. But here's the thing in my heart, I was hungry and thirsty for what I didn't know. So when I was presented with something that I was asleep to, that I had no knowledge of, my heart was hungry and thirsty when I heard it. And that hunger and thirst pursued me into God. And so the Holy Spirit revealed what I didn't know. So now what I was asleep for, I'm on fire for. We can be on fire and asleep all at the same time. The Bible says you don't yet know what you ought to know. And because you don't know what you ought to know, you don't have a hunger and thirst for it. Because it's being concealed... Because the Bible says it's the glory of the Father to conceal. He loves playing hide and seek. So this promise is actually concealed from us. The promise of the bride of Christ is the greatest mystery in God's kingdom, but it is concealed from you, but for you. And you and I cannot know it unless the Holy Spirit reveals it in you and to you. It will always stay a mystery. And yet, it is the promise at the back of the book. When God started to show me this, I went on a journey of asking many, many leaders in the body of Christ if they had any revelation of this, and not one single person could say yes. Not one person that I spoke to, men and women, who I would have thought or are, were more mature than me, couldn't actually help me. Why? Because it's a mystery like the entirety of God is a mystery waiting to be revealed because it said it's God's glory to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings, his people, to go search out a matter. So we have to realize the greatest mystery, the greatest promise called the covenant of marriage between Christ and his church has been hidden. 
Why? Why does he hide it, Jay? Why doesn't he just say, here it all is? Well, he does. He wrote it down and says, there it all is. But inside your own ability, you do not have the capacity or the ability to understand the big picture. But I write it down in the hope that you would be hungry and thirsty for what you do not yet know because my Holy Spirit is hovering like he was at the beginning of the creation, waiting to bring it to light. Then you will rejoice. When you realize that you were created for an eternal purpose of marriage between the creator and his creation, and he has done everything for that reality to be yours, and that is revealed in you, and it is alive in you, like alive. You don't wake up going, life is a bummer. It's life is a blessing. No matter what it looks like out here, what it looks like in here is alive and well. See, the enduring word of God, which is imperishable, is in you. And the same word that created this creation that came out of what is invisible but into the visible is in you. So you're able to walk out the eternal life on earth and glorify the Father to the measure you are in Him. And He wants to grow that measure to a full measure and an overflowing measure so you look exactly like Him, but you are not God, but you are Christ-like. You actually are God's little G. Go have a look in Psalms and John. What does that mean? It means you are not just merely human beings. You have the spirit of the living God in you. You have the power of God in you. You have his word, which is eternal and enduring, and you partake of it. You drink of him and you reflect him to the earth. You are an overcomer, which is what we're going to unlook at as we keep going. But the first thing, which is at the back of the book, The starting place is not about function. Man, does the body of Christ need to get set free from function and come into fellowship and then live from function because fellowship defines the function. Otherwise you do. And if you're not in fellowship, then you're going to burn out. Because where do you think the strength comes from to do his functional work? Him. So we must be in oneness with him. We must be and know of this marriage covenant because that's what a marriage covenant is, isn't it? The two are going to become... So is that a man and a woman or is that Christ and his church? No, it's just a man and a woman. We have no concept of Christ in his church. Or do we? Like, do we have a revealed understanding, a revelation, the Holy Spirit of the two becoming one? Because my life is hidden in Christ, so I'm no longer my own. And that's how I live in my marriage covenant with Danielle. Or do I just have an informational knowledge about I'm supposed to be in this covenant with God, but I don't have the power to be in it. So I try to live it out because I intend to my heart is right, but I can't actually fulfill it. So one is different than the other. But they can both sound the same. Revelation and information are not even in the same planet. Revelation comes from heaven. A man 
cannot do anything unless it is given him from above. John 3, 27. John the Baptist could do nothing unless he was empowered by revelation from above. Same with you and I. So what we have then is our own religious efforts. Striving, sense of accomplishment, sense of purpose, outcome-driven churches. The outcomes are God's. He doesn't say, go do this and do that. He says, I build my church. He doesn't say, you build it, Greg. He says, you're not supposed to be building anything. You can't build anything eternal. You're surrendering to being built. You can't build the kingdom. There's no such thing as the church building the kingdom. If the church, if the kingdom is in the church and the church can't build itself, how do you build the kingdom? But this is what we teach. Sounds amazing, but if you have no discernment, you buy into it, and now you're a builder of the church that you can't do, so you're going to wear yourself out real fast. And so God puts this promise at the back of the book, which Isaiah said, I declare the end from the beginning. So if you get revelation at the back of the book, your beginning will be amazing. If you don't get revelation from the back of the book, your beginning is going to be a false start. And that's okay because that's where every one of us starts. The disciples did not know the back of the book when they started, when they heard, come follow me. They didn't even know who he was. Yes? Had no idea who he was, even though the scripture said, oh, we found the Messiah. Hear the difference between information and revelation? We found the Messiah in the next breath. Who is he? That's, that's a messed up reality, isn't it? We found the Messiah, but we don't really know who the Messiah is. Then we get in the way of the Messiah. So we all start in the same place, which is out of fellowship. And our starting point is function. And if you stay in function, you will be burnt out outside of the life that is in fellowship. So we start in function. God's got to break function down. He's got to impart himself into us so then we're in fellowship. Then he says, now let's go together and let's do the things that I have predestined for you before the foundations of the earth. But you will be doing it through me being your center, me inspiring the work, me leading the work, and me empowering the work. Boom! Every follower here, that one in the word of the Lord, and it will radically change you, and then you'll start coming into this life. But it is all defined through a marriage covenant. So let us rejoice and be glad, give glory to God, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. When did you get your invitation to the marriage? Do you know? You got it in the letterbox, Warren. What did it look like, mate? So if you don't know that you actually got given an invitation, you probably haven't opened it, correct? Do you know you got your invitation the day you received them as your Lord and Saviour? It's not tangible, it's spiritual. But that's what happened. The day you received Jesus Christ, you got your wedding invitation to your own wedding. 
Not to the person beside you's wedding, your wedding. So I want to marry you. You're out of wedlock and I want to marry you. So I sent my son to marry you. He says to the Israelites, he says, I am your husband, but you keep breaking covenant with me. Are we breaking covenant because we don't know the wedding invitation we got the day we received them? So we're completely unaware of this covenant that has conditions. Because we're supposed to be getting ready. It says the bride is making herself ready. Did you hear that? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to go buy a new garment and put on makeup and go get my hair done and my nails done? And See, all that is a physical picture of something that's spiritual. So we can do that physically, can't we? And most brides do. They spend hours and hours and a lot of money, amen. And not just on them, but on their bridesmaids and this and that, and they pamper and they take forever. Good things take time, they certainly do. My wife was an hour late. <laughs> Those that wait on the Lord, God renews their strength. I thought, yes, Lord, is that the sign of our covenant? Oh, my goodness. She was worth waiting for, though, eh? Woo, she's worth waiting for. God is good. <laughs> so we know how to get ready in the physical. We know that really well because we're physical. But this invitation went out the day we received Christ. And for some of us, what invitation? Like, what are you even talking about? Like, I'm a bloke, a bride. I'm a bloke, man. What are you talking about? Being a bride. Certainly, that's a misprint. What does that really mean in the Hebrew or the Greek? Because it can't mean bride. It must mean something. No, no, it means what it means. Because there is no male or female in God. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is not even a fleshly line, a bloodline in God. God came from a whole different tribe and he's looking for his own people. He said, true worship is worship in spirit and truth, not a natural bloodline. So when you start to realize this is not even male or female, it's got nothing to do with physical, even though God gives us a physical representation. Why? As a means to point you to a greater reality. The problem with the church, when it addresses this not from the mind of Christ, it makes the physical marriage the thing. And you know what it's about? Babies and not having sex outside of marriage. Those are the two things. Get married because you don't want to have sex outside of marriage. No, if you're not ready for marriage, just don't get married and don't have sex outside of marriage. <laughs> and we've taken this beautiful truth and reduced it down to something that we can understand. And we miss the entire purpose of why God gave us the marriage covenant between him and us. Because it has a promise, it's this, I will love you unconditionally and you will surrender to me and we will be one of heart, spirit, mind and purpose. 
And you will know what it is to be in fellowship with the Creator. You will know what it is to be one with God, no longer two and outside of God, but God will be in you and you will be in God and you will have a life in you that is eternal, no longer temporal, and you will no longer struggle. What invitation. What are you talking about? When I heard the gospel, this is the message I heard, get saved from my sin and iniquity and then go try and find a whole lot of other people that have died in sin and that's all I know. That is an awesome message, but it is the start of a whole process of transformation into maturity. And the problem is we're still dishing up this, which is awesome, but it is milk. And the meat, we have no teeth to eat. And so we go, can't eat that because I've got no teeth because I'm still three months old spiritually. So I've got to go back and suck on milk. And we've got to get off the milk and into the meat. Because the Bible says if you don't know the meat, you'll never know the word of righteousness. So you'll never know how to discern good and evil, which means you'll never know how to discern when it's man speaking with man's truth and God's. And if you can't discern that, discern that you're going to hear man and go, yes and amen, because flesh and flesh are going to connect rather than spirit and spirit. Well, you and I need spiritual meat, spiritual food, spiritual drink that only Jesus can give. And if we're not eating that, guess what? You stay the same. So while those around you are going from strength to strength, glory to glory, and are starting to see in the Spirit, you know in you there's a separation happening. So although you're physically in the room, physically in a marriage, physically as a mum and a dad, physically there, there's a spiritual division that's happening in heart and mind. Because Jesus said, don't get it wrong. Do not think I've come to bring peace. I've come to separate flesh and spirit. I've come looking for my people. I've come looking for my bride. I've come looking for those who have received the invitation and are laying their lives down and becoming my bride. Now here's the lie. We've told everyone is the bride of Christ. Everyone is betrothed to be the bride of Christ. But that requires action. You do not just become the bride of Christ and arrive here because you receive Jesus. Being ready means what? Because it doesn't just mean receive a prayer. Being ready means you better be ready. You better be spiritually ready when he returns. Because he's coming back for a people who are spiritually mature, not immature, mature. People who demonstrate Christ on the earth are mature. Children can't do that. I do not expect my children to live like me, but I'm raising them up in the hope that they can live like me. It takes time. It's a process. But at the end of the day, if they do not raise raise up and start living like me, then they're not. They stay children. Nothing worse than a 50-year-old man who's living like a 15-year-old. That is just a physical analogy. So what is it in the spirit, guys? What does it mean to be made ready? Come with me to 2 Thessalonians 2.13.
2 Thessalonians 2, 13. Are we hearing this? But we should always give thanks to God for you. There's that thanks. There's that rejoicing. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Which means you're not an accident and you're not a mistake. So I pray if there's anyone in this room that has issues with rejection, they would be gone right now in Jesus' name. Because that's demonic that has been pumped into us. And God is saying to you today as your father, if you know him as father, he's saying, I called you for my purpose. You are not an accident. You are not rejected. I have accepted you. Receive my acceptance. Don't look for man's acceptance. So when man doesn't accept you but rejects you, it damages you. I chose you. You are from my heart, not your parents or your whatever. You are my people. Before you even were, I called you. But he calls us for the purpose of salvation through what? Sanctification, which means that's a big word, Greg. We need to know what that means because it's sanctification, but it's in accordance to something. What does it say? By the Spirit and faith in the truth. So our transformational process of heart and mind is through the sanctification, the renewing through the Spirit and faith in the truth. Why do you think we've been going on about faith for so long? Because if you don't have faith, meaning sight and knowledge, absolute knowledge of what's in God, this ain't happening. Because it needs to be part of this for it to happen. But it's led by the Spirit. It's not flesh and truth. Here's the problem with the church. So many are in flesh and truth, not spirit and truth. And a flesh and truth reality is pharisaical. So you try to understand God through your flesh. That's a demonic operating system. It has you doing this. Self-righteous judgment, and you will cut everybody. You'll be like Adam, who accused God when sin entered him. Not a good thing to be accusing the Creator, but the thing is the Creator is loving you, hoping that you're going to enter in through Spirit. So it's through Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you know you can be justified and not baptized in the Holy Spirit? You can have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and not be baptized in the Spirit. So you are justified, you are covered, but you don't have the Spirit in you to live this life out. So your inner realm stays the same. Hear the difference? You're covered. If you died, you would be with him. But you're not able to live the kingdom life on earth because you don't know the spirit that you need to be transformed. You're not abiding in the spirit because it's spirit to spirit. 
God's word is spirit. It's not human. It's not Jewish. It's not English. It's nothing to do with the natural tongue. It comes through the natural tongue. But like I said, I wish God had given us a language because I could then speak and it would define all our abilities, whether you're hearing it or not. So we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If we're not, start seeking Him for a baptism in the Spirit. Because outside of that, there's no way you're going to be able to live this covenant out. No way. Because you're trying to do it in your own flesh. And here's the thing. Someone of flesh and truth can speak, but those in the Spirit know it's not the Father. The words can all sound the same, but you go, that's actually not it. Because it's spirit to spirit. He goes on, he says, it was for this he called you through our gospel. So what gospel did you receive? Did you receive the words... Or work. This is another massive starting point. What does it look like, Greg, to receive the words of the gospel? It's like this. Jesus died. He rose again. That you would have eternal life. That he would free you from your sin and iniquity. If you receive him tonight, you will be justified by his blood. If you believe that from your heart. I believe that. Jesus died, he rose again. And so I believe it, but it's belief through the words. This is what the word the works look like. You don't even hear the words. Or you hear the words. But it's irrelevant of words. The Holy Spirit comes and he through power reveals Jesus Christ in you. And you are eternally changed. Like eternally, you've gone bang, wong, bang, that way. What do I got to do? He says, get baptized. Okay, why? Because I got new life in me. So it's not about words. Paul said it ain't about words, it's about power. And from power, now you speak words. But if you don't know the power and you're trying to understand the words, you're flesh and truth. So this is the gospel that God wants to bring to light. Now this... You could say with the disciples for three and a half years, walking with a man who was speaking words that they did not understand. Why? Because there was no power to perform a work of transformation. But then, but God, Pentecost came and they were filled with the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. It's not about what I did in words. It's about the work I performed. I got killed for your sin and iniquity. Power of Father raised me from being dead. He was dead. Back to life. And then I came and entered you through a broken, humble contrite heart that knew its need for resurrection power. And then you got born again of the Spirit and power and you live. 
to the measure that happened. But now you have a reference for the gospel. So now you're hungry and thirsty for a food source you never knew, but now you know, not because you figured it out in your head, because you experienced it. That is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately today, because we think we build the church and we think it's our role to get people saved, we have dumbed it down. We have used music, atmosphere, persuasive language to draw people emotionally. And we have done all those people a disservice because they go, how do I live? I can't. I'm justified, but I'm stuck. And I don't have what I need to have to live. And so someone's got to come along who preaches the gospel, who's experienced the gospel and testify of the gospel. So ears can hear and identify and go, which one have I received? This one or this one? It's not a right and a wrong. It's not a bad and a good. It's a need. Both are justified. But unless you've got this one, the sanctificational process, which is inner transformation. How? Through spirit and faith in the truth will avoid you. Because it's not in you. It's outside of you waiting to come in you through power. If the disciples didn't need power, God would have taken it out. Fickle. Everything is in there for a reason. And it has to be experienced, guys. It's not, I think I got it. You either have or you haven't. Now, I'm not talking about power that comes on you externally. I'm talking about an indwelling power that resides in your innermost being. It's a baptism in you, Christ in you. Philippians says God performs a work of power in you. It's an in, it's an in, it's an in Christ. Who is the power of God? Jesus Christ is. So when Jesus comes, Paul said, I got crucified through what? Revelation of who? Words or the person? Christ himself. Into then, he got crucified. This is covered this is covered and crucified. This one performs the work of sanctification, which is the inner realm. Inner realm. David cried out, I want truth in the innermost being place. So that is through the sanctification, which just another word is transformation, through spirit and truth and faith. Spirit and faith in truth. Your knowledge, not empty faith. Remember what faith is? The absolute assurance of what you know. Because this is where all the works have got to come out of. Works by faith. So are our works coming out of faith? Or flesh. The only works that God is going to reward are works by 
Bay, what happens to the flesh works? <laughs> Gone. These are fine margins. It isn't just give it a go, figure it out, fake it till you make it, rubbish. This is you need to know. And you can know because God wants to make himself known. Because he died that you would be in a covenant marriage relationship with God based on fellowship, oneness of spirit with God, with the Son, with the Spirit, and who else? One another. Come on, guys. The true family of God, one another. You have the same mind, same spirit, same love. One purpose. We are not to be 10 different ways. We're not to be this and this. Physical family has to get wiped out. Spiritual family has to come out of the eternal. Then physical family takes its leading from eternal family. The problem with most of us is that our physical family is determining our spirit reality. So we go, no, no, that doesn't fit in with my plan. Oh, no, I ain't got time for that, God. I'm living for me and my physical family because it's the greatest idol in the body. But it's a gift from God, but it must be given back to God. It must be killed and then given back so it doesn't define you. Otherwise, you are outside of God's will. But you're supposed to be inside of His will because you have lost your life, haven't you? See, unless we lose our lives, give them to God, and God gives them back, you're still holding on to your life. And you can't lose your life unless power comes to sever you from you. Guys, it's the basic gospel message. It's the beginning. And because we've preached this, everyone's off to the races but got none of this power. And so guess what? The outcome is what? We are still the firm foundation of our own lives. We have no idea about a marriage covenant, but we're building our own physical covenants with our own physical families. And we're missing out. And you can have both. I'm married. I got kids. I got both. I got it all. If you love me with all, Greg, I'll give you all. But I define the all, not you, son. Yes, free me from me. I lived that for 29 years. And it works and it's a blessing. And every day is a rejoicing day because you know why you were called. I can't wait for the marriage. It's going to be awesome. Are we going to be there? Good. I hope so. I hope you're hearing this, man, and going, man, we need to change. Oh, my goodness, man, who are we called to be? I've been living for middle old me. But it's good. It's time to get into being us. Woo. Listen to this. It was for this, this is 14, he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says God will not share his glory with another. Then he says, have some of my glory. Why doesn't he share his glory with another and then give it? What's he waiting for? What's he waiting for? He's waiting for a heart change. I ain't giving you my glory with that heart. I'll give you it with that heart. If I give you this glory, you'll use it for your own glory. So you've got to lose your own heart and give me all your heart. Don't give your heart to a man or a woman or a child. 
Don't give it to a work. Give it to God. God will never hurt you. Women will. I will. I'll hurt you. The people beside you will hurt you. But when you give your heart to God, you can love those people. Even when they hurt you. Do you know why? Because you've got armor on that's bigger than them. You've got love in you that can't be penetrable. Ping, ping, offense. Ping, ping, ping. <clears throat> you said this, ping. I'm going to love you and love you and love you and love you. And I'm going to love you to death. <laughs> that's what happened to me. I resisted, kicked, fought, punched. He just wore me down with love. Because love can do that. See, love, guys, is not defined by anyone else's behavior. And it doesn't respond to anyone else's behavior, whether it's going to love. Love is defined by love. And because love is defined by love and God is love, it just loves. It's not based on what anyone else is doing. It's based on itself. We've got to hear that, man. Because if you're looking for another person to make you happy, you've already lost. And you're in a form of lust. And God needs to sever that tie. And he wants to sever that today. The word I got in pre-service prayer was God's fire's coming to eliminate the dross. And the dross is our flesh. And his fire comes to burn up all the dross that is holding us back from actually becoming the people that we've been predestined to be. So God makes us perfect. He says, now you've got to get perfected. How do you get perfected? Through the process of sanctification. What sanctification? It's through the process of the Spirit and faith in the truth going to work in your innermost being. And the Holy Spirit, because you're born again of Spirit, becomes your teacher. And He starts writing and engraving the enduring Word of God, which is imperishable, on your heart and your mind. And now you can just live. You're not trying to be Christian. You're just being one. You're not trying to work out the five steps and the methodology to this and this, the 10 steps to that, and the 50 steps to that. And if you just do this and that and this and that, you'll find it. Anyone find that through that method yet? You just get tired. So God has been arresting that stuff, which is man-centered truth smashing it, dismantling it, and going, I'm going to speak my truth. And if you hear my truth, it does what it does. You don't have to do anything but surrender to it, hear it, seek it, ask for it, wait for me to do the work, and bingo, live. And it is all from rest. That's good. <laughs> so this is the inner realm through this process is what it means to be made ready that's what it means to be made ready your inner realm is going from strength to strength which means the inner realm is what what's the inner realm Going from sin. What does it look like? What's the substance of the inner realm? It's broken into three parts. No, the inner realm. What, if you've got Christ's inner realm in you, it's forming in you. What have you got in you? Say it. 
Love. Okay. What are the characteristics of love? Love is... Oh, I need more patience. No, you need more love. You probably don't have love if you need patience. If love is patient, this is how one this is. Remember, it's a work of this. This is how unique this is and how far we're out of this trying to enter into something through our humanity. Love is patient. Love is kind. So think about all the characteristics of love, and this is what I'm talking about when I talk about getting made ready. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13, 3 to 8, love never fails. Cool. What's the next one? There's three. No, no, no. What are the, yeah, but what are the attributes? What are the characteristics of the reality of what's going to be in you? So faith is, but think inner. Okay, peace. Now what's that? A fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so you've got love and the, all the characteristics of love. In abundance. Okay, because it's growing, yeah? So you have love and then love is going to be perfected within you. So this is going to, love is going to be perfected in love so you're able to abide in Christ. So love, Jesus, is going to be abiding in you, overflowing out of you. You're never going to run short of love. When you continually partake of Christ and drink of Christ, okay? Number one. Number two is the fruit of Christ called the Spirit. So the fruit of Spirit, okay? Which is here, isn't it? Sanctification through the Spirit. So you have the fruit. So what are the fruit of the Spirit? Peace, joy, love. Right. So just go to Galatians and have a look at the nine fruits and go, where's that to be, God? He goes, in you. What? Yeah, you're to have a joy in you that's not based on your feelings. It's not emotion. Joy is not an emotion. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of Christ. Happiness is emotion. And we go, I lost my joy. What we mean is, I lost my happiness. If you're losing your joy, you're losing Christ. John 16 says, no one can take your joy from you because it's me. So then once again, like patience, we may not know what actually joy is. And that's okay, but we got an opportunity to know what joy is. And this is one aspect of the fruit. Does it not say the kingdom of God is what? What are the three elements that make up the kingdom of God? Joy, peace, and righteousness in who? Oh my goodness, this person again, the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Well, where's the Holy Spirit to be abiding? Dwelling, making his home. So if he is, and we are truly in this process getting ready, then we have the fruit and abundance of fruit being formed in us. Is that exciting? This is where you live from. Okay? So if you get reviled, what do you do? Do you though? 
Like, do you really? If you get reviled, do you love back or do you? Does the same spirit come back? Let's be honest. Because we're growing. Hopefully we're growing because we're being made aware of the true getting ready process called the bridal preparation of spirit. Not me trying to get ready just physically, putting on physical garments, making myself look good, going to the gym, losing weight, doing all that. And he goes, what's that? Well, I got ready for you. He goes, well, you look good. But internally, you loved you, man. So what's the third? I feel like it's a bit like Jesus and his disciples. Don't ask him. Don't ask. Oh my goodness, don't ask. Shut up. I got shot down last time. This is not right, wrong. This is learning. So what is number three? What was the Sermon on the Mount? Do you know it was the only one sermon Jesus did? And it was the Sermon on the Mount, which is about the being attitudes. Who can tell me what the first being attitude is in Christ? Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means blessed are those who are spiritually humble, who have had the spirit of pride smashed on the foundational stone called the cornerstone, It ceases to exist because it got broken into a thousand pieces and you don't put back a vase that's been broken to a thousand pieces. You go get a brand new one. And then the Holy Spirit gives you His spirit of humility, which is of a bondservant, which is as of the one that you follow called Christ who did not consider equality something to be grasped with God, but it emptied Himself and became like you and I. It's not about whether you wash people's feet, make cookies for the next door neighbour. It's are you in you humble in Christ? Have you been humbled from being full of yourself? Which you can't do. But when you enter into the process of sanctification, which is your bridal preparation of getting made ready for the covenant that you were chosen for before you even breathed, you actually find yourself being able to live like Christ. Like you actually love Christ with the love He's put in you. Which is Ephesians 6.24 that says, Blessed are all those who can love Jesus Christ with the incorruptible love. So when Jesus says the first work of function that I'm going to ask you to perform in my name, it's what? Say it. No, that's the fellowship work. What's the first functional work? To love what, Rodney? To love. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Oh no. 
Last week it was glory. I'm like, glory. glory. He's looking at me like, glory. <laughs> he, he had that one down in case I asked him that today. <laughs> Sorry, bro. So the first functional work, because you're in this, okay, there's a fellowship work that comes before this work, is that you would love God with all And so when the person beside you reviles you, guess what you're able to do? Bingo! But it must be demonstrated. It can't be theory. It has to be a divine demonstration of wisdom on this earth. That's what you're called to be able to do. If you can't do that yet, I would seriously repent and start seeking the Lord. Meaning, you're not bad going, God, I can't do that yet. And I'm chosen, predestined to be able to love the world like you. Wow! Really? Amen, yes. That's just the first work. Lord, they don't seem that excited. Okay. <laughs> so, look at this. Who can give me another beatitude? No, no. no. Uh, these are being attitudes. These are not doing anything. These are being. These are the attitudes of Christ in your heart and mind because you're being made ready. That was the first one. Poor in spirit. Same thing. You're pure in heart. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What did you say, Lisa? Sorry, the meekness, which is actually strength. It's got your all power in you to go smack someone who reviles you and you hold the punch. Why? Because the spirit in you is greater than the flesh. The fist doesn't even come up. Blessed are the peace, not peacekeepers. That's right, makers, not keepers. So peacemakers teach you what you need, not what you want. Peacekeepers tell you what you want because they're afraid they're going to upset you. You know, it says, blessed are those who suffer for living for Christ. It's a blessing to suffer. Next. <laughs> And I'm not talking about the Muslim who persecutes you. I'm not talking about those oppositions. I'm talking about this opposition. Because flesh and spirit don't get on. The pattern of Scripture is Jesus' own people crucified him. Well, guess what? We crucify one another every day because when flesh and spirit turn up and we don't get what we want or what we think we should get, and and we actually revile one another. And the Bible says, with your freedom, make sure you don't devour one another. But we do. And we wrap his name around it and somehow self-justify ourselves out of it instead of realizing, oh my goodness, what did I just do to my fellow brother and sister who might not have even known who they were and so they acted like a child, but I didn't know who I was, so I acted like a child and we went hammer and tongs and now we've separated and we're supposed to be one. 
And we do this because we are not in this. Because that is the first element of being one with God. So we do not start here. We start outside of here, correct? And God's power has to save us from darkness, propel us into light through the gospel within us, and we start this process from the day we received Christ. The day we received Christ is the day this should have started in us. So if I've been in Christ 22 years, I should have an abundance of this by now. Fair enough? If I'm abiding in this. So God promises the outcomes. He delivers on his outcomes when I'm in God's process. I don't have to worry about the outcomes. I have to worry about being in God's process. The outcomes are God's. But when you're a people who are outcome-driven, outcome-focused, all about the KPIs, how many people have you got saved, how many buildings have you got, you leave this process behind because it takes too long. Yeah, because you don't know what it really means to actually be His and allow Him to build His church. Because you're still bound up in your flesh and what you think it all means and you're not even free. Because this produces the fruit of this. And so John 15 says, if anyone abides in me, he has much fruit. You have much of this through this thing called abiding, which is the same as sanctification. It's all the same thing, okay? And it overflows. And it proves that you're my disciple. I'm not trying to prove I'm his disciple. By having this fruit in me, it proves I am a disciple. Hear the difference. I'm not worried about the outcomes. The outcomes will happen when I'm in process. My role is to be in process with the spirit of truth, which I need to know because I haven't ever been baptized in the spirit of truth. How am I going to enter into the process? And so I've got much fruit. Do you know where you go? If you're not in this, do you know where you go? What I mean is, I'm not talking about heaven or hell. Do you know what you do? Hey? Yeah, yeah. But when you're not, sorry, when you're not in this reality, maybe I should just tell you. You know what you do? You go after works. You go after works because that's what you can do. And the works become your number one. And then it's all about healings, preaching the gospel, getting the gifts, all those things, you are so focused on the gifts and the power stuff. And you go after works because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Because you hear this great commission, but you don't hear it through the lens of the Spirit. You hear it through you and you think your role now is to go. Now, is there a divine demonstration of that on the earth supposed to come through the church? Yes, absolutely. But do you know what the enemy's trying to do and your flesh is trying to do? It's to hoodwink you to get you into the false one. And that's where the trap is because there is to be a divine demonstration of God coming through the earth. Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom, the demonstration, not what the church knows, what it lives, is to come out into the earth and the heavenly realm is bamboozled by it. Because all the angels who long to look into what God has given the church go, how does that all work, man? 
So there is to be a divine demonstration, but the hoodwink is you try to do that in your own flesh, not the spirit, and God will even let you because you have a gift on your life and in his name there's power and you end up getting tied up and all entangled up in sin because it's not done by faith. And so you could also hear, Lord, Lord, and you don't want to be that people. So God gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the gifts, but in an alignment first to this reality. This has to be your number one, otherwise you will get entangled. And all the function you do possibly is going to come out of flesh. You can lay hands on sick people and they can be healed. Matthew seven twenty one, And you go, God's going to go, I haven't got a clue who you are. You see the seriousness of this, guys? But it doesn't need to be like this. So God's divine order is one, two, three, and we must flow in that divine order if we want the divine demonstration of everything we can be and live out. If there's one part missing, we're in trouble. So this, firstly, is an inner realm. So how's your inner realm? There's a marriage covenant the bride will love like the son. Do you understand that? Isn't that what you're commanded to do? To love as Jesus loves. So if you're commanded to love like Jesus does and you can't yet, that's okay. But do you want to? So you can't go at your judgment seat and arrive there going, I never actually demonstrated what I was supposed to and expect to be the bride. Like, do you get that? Like, no, seriously, do you get it? Because many people don't. Like, they don't because they just leave here and life continues. Like, if you get it, you're apprehended and you're going, oh my goodness, I actually can't do what I'm commissioned and called to do yet. So God, I've got to drop my life because that's what's holding me back from this and I've got to run and start asking, seeking, knocking on heaven's door because I've been called for a heavenly calling and I'm not moving until you give me what is mine. In you. And when you find that, man, I'm telling you, you live and you're on fire. You're no longer chasing all the aspects of God. You're no longer chasing, asking Him to bless you. It's no longer the child. You start maturing and you start living as an adult in the kingdom, no longer sucking on milk as a kid. Milk is right in the right time, is it not? You don't give a natural baby steak, you give it mother's milk. But then you're weaning off milk and onto solids. And then onto solids, onto more solid food. So the child starts to grow because the child needs it for its physical development, correct? So do you think you're any different in the spirit? No, God wants to give you eternal food that only God could give so you can grow and live like God. But you can't expect to receive and be part of what I'm talking about here if you don't grow up. And unfortunately, the church has kept us small because it fills leaders like me's egos and you need me and I need you. And so we suck life out of one another and we keep this institutional model going. And God says, I'm sick of it. I actually want to get a church on the earth that's mature. And so I've given gifts with maturity. So you must be free from one another because I'm going to raise up a people who can release the manifold wisdom of God, the divine demonstration of God on the earth. Do you want to be part of it? Yeah. 
Okay, then it's going to cost you your life. So don't say yes and then say no. If it's a no, say no. If it's a yes, say yes. But if you pray that, the Holy Spirit's going to come and your whole life's going to turn upside down. So get ready for your life to turn upside down because He's going to come and it won't be in a way you think He's coming. He's going to come and mess your world up. He messed my world up when He came. He's going to mess your world up when He came. And do not reject Him when He comes. So here I am, yes. All right? It ain't coming comfortably. He's going to mess you up. And it's going to test your yes. The Bible is very clear. Do not swear on heaven. Say yes if it's a yes, no if it's a no, because God's going to do in accordance to your yes or no. And there's nothing wrong with saying no. If you're not ready for this, say no. There's freedom to say no to God. And God goes, I respect that because I see the heart. But if it's a yes and you want it, God will come. But guys, don't reject him because he won't come the way you think he's going to come. It'll probably start with a bit of turmoil. It's like, you've got to give this up. Oh, I want that. Why? Because that thing has you. So you've got to know he loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's for you. So he wants to release you from you. But with that, he's going to give you more of him. So he never leaves you hanging there. There is a beautiful exchange. You give me your ashes, I give me your beauty. You come to me and give me your crap, I'll give you my rest. That's how it works. But when you turn up with your rubbish, don't hang on to it. It's dead flesh that's actually killing you. If it's not in God, it's dead. Yeah? As good as it looks, it's never going to produce eternal food because it's not. It's humanity. It's earthly. It may be good, but it's actually dead. It's like knowledge that hasn't come from the tree of revelation. It's good, but it's dead because the root system of the tree of good and evil is dead, but it's good. See the paradigm and the paradox? doesn't produce spiritual life, even though it fills you with life, but it's false life. So it leads you astray. Part two. Maybe next week, I don't know. We do, I'm definitely doing part two. It might be tonight, Sam, I don't know. But we're going to end it there. And uh, questions, well, take them away with you. Or you can hang around and chat, but. This is so eternal, and this has been building over years. So God is ramping this sucker up, that we can be and live an eternal life while we're here. And then that godliness takes us into the age to come, which is here. But you can know this today because it's defining godliness now. 